Our reading from God's Word this morning is in Philippians, as you may have guessed. We are moving right along. And if you'd like to follow along with me, we'll begin in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. This is a familiar passage to many of us. It's a powerful passage, a helpful passage. It's a passage that is very timely, I think, for our church. I know it is for me as an individual. So we'll begin at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Eudea and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice always in the Lord. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're so thankful that God has blessed us with his word. Thank you. Before we begin the message, I'd ask that you guys pray with me once more before we start to study God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, here we are at the part of the service where we launch into a study of your word, and I attempt to explain it, and I... I pray that you'll help me, help me to speak clearly and accurately and not dilute or confuse the purity and power and truth of your word. I pray that it would be powerful, that you would work through it, that we would all be relieved of some of the burdens that we may have carried in here this morning. We pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. So before we begin to ease into our passage here in Philippians 4, I want to tell you about something called GAD. G-A-D. Some of you may be familiar with this. Generalized Anxiety Disorder. Generalized Anxiety Disorder is a diagnosis that some folks get when their anxiety seems to become extreme. When their anxiety seems to go beyond normal concern, worry that normal everyday life brings about. These are folks who anxiety makes it difficult for them to operate normally in circumstances. They take normal concerns and they take them to their fullest worst case scenario extremes. Here's some of the symptoms. Their muscles get tense and they often ache due to the stress. They are restless at night, not sleeping very well. Sometimes it causes some stomach discomfort. They can be jumpy, unsteady, edgy, restless. They often tire easily because all this this weight, this this worrisome thoughts that constantly cycle in their mind is just so weary, so tired. So they often get tired easily. They become easily irritable. They can't relax when they have a chance to relax. 
Because they can't stop the thoughts. They're just constantly scrolling through the, the thoughts of things that they've got to keep in mind or worry about or think about or, or be responsible for. They can't stop the sort of fluttering feeling in their heart. They have a hard time concentrating. Lots of times they're just kind of afraid. Does that sound familiar to any of you? I wonder. I ask that because I looked, I spent a lot of time researching anxiety disorders. And I would bet that probably not much less than half of us, that we could go to a counselor or a doctor and be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Did you know that anxiety disorders are the most common problem, most common mental health disorder that there is? Around 40%, some people estimate, are affected by anxiety disorders of different kinds. It's epidemic in our society. It's absolutely epidemic. And there's different kinds. There's um, generalized anxiety disorder that I mentioned, panic attacks, fear of flying, obsessive compulsive disorder is considered an anxiety disorder, social anxieties, phobias, post-traumatic stress syndrome. 40% of people struggle to some degree in this area, according to the statistics. You never know how accurate statistics are, but I think they can give a kind of an indication. And I think we know from our lives and from people that we know that anxiety is a big problem. You may not feel that you're to the extent of where you can be diagnosed with some specific disorder. Or maybe you do, and maybe some of you have. But it's a plague on our society. It's a silent one, too, because in, in places like we are right now, people don't usually just wear their anxiety on their sleeves. You don't see people just kind of shaking very often and just sort of biting their nails and just... Clearly, anxiety rate. Because we tend to sort of come up with ways to cover it up. But I would bet that many of us in this congregation, in the quiet of our bed as we go to sleep, in the quiet of our drive to work or back, that our hearts are plagued with anxiety often. And it comes in waves. It's like, just like the ocean waves sort of slowly, subtly over time steal the sand from our beaches. Anxiety sort of slowly over time in waves steals, eats away at our peace and our joy. And sometimes years may go by before we realize it and we look back and we're like, what has happened to me? Where's my joy? Where's my peace? Where'd it go? How much of your time is spent worrying? How much of your time is spent in anxiety? Wondering, what did she mean when she said such and such? Wondering, am I going to have my job to the end of this month? Wondering, if, that, if I lose my job, what am I going to do then? Wondering, did I lock the door? What if somebody's getting into the house? There's wars, there's personal conflicts, there's illnesses, there's natural disasters, there's so many things that can start to weigh on our minds in, in the form of anxiety. There's health setbacks, crushing failures or mistakes that we make. There's really grievous losses. There's crying babies. There's biological clocks. Traffic jams. Sometimes just the ambient stress of life can cause us anxiety that we don't even really see creeping up. Until suddenly, we can't sleep. We're just stricken with it. We can't even pinpoint why. 
And people are searching for relief. And I imagine many of us have searched for relief. And if you Google search for anxiety relief or cure for anxiety, you will find plenty of results. And people have found relief in things like you know, physical things that you can do, breathing exercises and, and listening to soothing music while doing you know, soothing things. People have found some relief there. People have found relief in, in mental tricks that you can do, ways of thinking when an anxious thought comes you can train yourself to have sort of a, a, a mechanism kick in in your thinking that will do away with that anxious thought. People have found some relief there. People have found some relief in medications. There are plenty of medications out there. When you Google search about anxiety, that's what comes up. Because they spend big bucks to make sure those medications come up. Some of us, I bet this one may hit home too. Some of us find relief in movies. Maybe it's just me. I love after a stressful day to put in a movie. It's an hour and a half break from whatever's been weighing on me. And I can just be literally like a human vegetable and just look at it. Just look at a box with moving images on it. And it's such a nice relief. I turn to that quite often, I'm afraid. So millions of things are out there for the millions of people who struggle with this epidemic of anxiety. But you know what you will not find when you Google search anxiety? Even if you Google search the words, cure for anxiety, you know what you will not find? A cure for anxiety. You will not find a cure for it. And I saw some places that they said their advertisement was like, cure anxiety. Cure anxiety now. Cure anxiety fast. And then you go and you start to look at what they have to offer. And by the time you read down to the bottom of it, their language is kind of diluted a little bit. And they say things like, this is as close to a cure as you're ever going to find. And they know they really haven't found a cure for it. And then through the noise of so many people suffering with anxiety and struggling with it and looking for answers to it, through all this noise comes the still, small voice of God through His Word. In verse 6, saying, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. As I've been talking about anxiety, I imagine some of you have had some specific things come to mind. Specific things that may be causing you anxiety right now as we're sitting here. Or over the past weeks or months. Serious things. Very serious things, no doubt. And then here's God's word. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Let the extreme nature of that settle in. Don't be anxious about anything, God says. There's a story in the Gospels about two sisters who had Jesus over for dinner. Can you imagine having Jesus over to your house for dinner? Husbands, can you imagine your wife, the frenzy she would be in to get the house clean before Jesus came over to dinner? You know, there's kind of two levels of cleaning your house. There's the real deep clean. That's for important times. And then there's the sort of faux clean, the fake clean, where that's my personal preference. Meredith never seems to really like that one as much as I do. But I figure if the mess is hidden, what mess? There's no mess. If you can't see the dust everywhere, what dust? But that doesn't really go. And so there's two sisters who are having Jesus over for dinner. One of them is named Martha. One of them is named Mary. 
Okay? So Jesus comes and Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet, just like whatever he's saying, she's taking it in. She's captivated with Jesus. Everything she was doing to prepare, she has set to the side. And she is focused on Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, is scurrying about the house like a madwoman. She's fixing things, fixing drinks, finishing up, tidying things up, making sure everything's just right. And she finally comes to Jesus. She's like, Jesus, do you not even care that Martha's just sitting here while I'm doing everything? I mean, while Mary's just sitting here? I saw somebody mouth Mary to me. Thank you. Do you not even care that Mary is just sitting here while I'm doing everything? And Jesus looks at her and he, he loves these two sisters to death. And he says, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things. You are worried and bothered by so many things. And the message there that he's trying to say to her is, don't be. And you say, well, yeah, I mean, I can understand for small things like getting a house ready for guests. But I know for a fact that some of our concerns and some of your concerns are not small things like getting a house ready for guests. Some of your concerns are big things. Things that have a lot of importance for your life and other people's lives. I want you to flip to a passage with me, if you would. It's in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, chapter 6. And this too will be a familiar passage for some of us. Matthew, chapter 6. As you're flipping there, I know that some of your thoughts are, my concerns are more than just little things. My concerns are about life, about putting food on the table, about putting clothes on my children. About what's going to come tomorrow in this economic time. I don't know what's going to come tomorrow. Flip to Matthew chapter 6, starting at 25. I'm going to read kind of a lengthy section here, not too long. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to a crowd of people. His followers. Basically Christians like we are. So it's very applicable to us. He says, Therefore I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the non-Christians, run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Bible is unyieldingly clear for the Christian about anxiety and worry. And the Bible's message is, don't do it. 
Don't worry about the little things like Martha. Don't worry about the big things like your life and your food and your provision. Don't worry about tomorrow. You see, there's an alternative. Back in Philippians, where we were. Back in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But, here's your alternative to anxiety. But, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's two ways you can go. You can go anxiety route, or you can go present your requests to God route. And they're two separate directions. And the way the Bible presents it, you're either going one direction or the other. You're either being Martha or you're being Mary. You're either worrying about your life, clothing, food, provision, and tomorrow, or you're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're either being anxious about everything, or... You're presenting your requests to God. Two separate directions. You can't do them both at the same time. Now, I know, I'm almost certain that some of you, if you're acknowledging these thoughts, are thinking, I have tried this. Tell me how to do it because I've tried this. And it doesn't seem to work. It says, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And there's really nothing complicated about the procedure. Prayer is just talking to God. Supplication or petition, as my NIV says, is basically going to God for your supplies, for what you need. With thanksgiving indicates that you're praying and you're going to God for your supply should be done with an attitude of gratefulness for who he is and what he's already done for you. And that's really it. That's really the process. And we're thinking, I know what prayer is. I've tried it. And some of us, I know, must be thinking, it doesn't always work. We know what prayer is. We talk to God about our crises and our needs and the situations in our lives. And we open our eyes. No peace. I did what Philippians 4 said. I prayed. No peace. Where is the peace? It didn't work. I mean, doesn't verse 7 indicate that it should work? It says, do this. Don't be anxious. Pray. Bring your request to God. And verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does prayer not work in the same way like an oil drill works? You set up and you dig hard enough, long enough, in the right way, and eventually you strike peace. Does it not work that way? Does it not work like a grocery store transaction where I say, God, here's my prayer, and God says, thank you. Here's your peace, and I'm good to go. Does it not work like that? If the answer is that it does work like that, I think something is wrong. Because I know from personal experience that there's been many times where I say, God, here's my prayers. And I didn't get any any peace handed to me. The answer to all this hinges in verse 7. 
But before I get to that, I want to tell you a little bit about my experience with all this. These days, I experience stress. I am, aside from the grace of God, very ill-equipped to be a husband, father, and pastor. By the grace of God, he's bringing me along. But there's stress. And I felt like I was telling Meredith last night. Even last night, I didn't eat a whole lot for dinner. And she was like, are you stressed about, are you anxious about tomorrow morning? And I was like, oh, gosh, I am. I'm sitting here studying about anxiety. And I don't even have much appetite at dinner because I'm already, you know, getting churned up with it. I wasn't always that way, though. Ask my wife, when she met me, I didn't have a care in the world. I didn't have a care in the world. I was a slacker in school. I've told you that before, and I've repented. I was a slacker in school. School caused me no stress because I did okay. I worked at a pretty easy job. I had no real ambition to climb the corporate ladder, so I was satisfied with my easy job. No stress there. At the time that I met her, I was still living at home, so I didn't have rent. I didn't have to pay insurance. I had inherited my car from my parents. No payments for any of that. Something happened that, that caused me to go from total stresslessness to being stressed out quite often. So I'm thinking about all this as I'm preparing this sermon. And I'm thinking, well, what was the most peaceful time of my life? And for me, and I would bet for most of you, it was childhood. Childhood was peaceful for me. I had a peaceful home, and I, was, I don't remember ever being anxious about things when I was a child. I can't think of any time that I felt anxious about something unless I had done something wrong and I knew I was about to get in trouble, that kind of thing. Overall, I just sort of bopped around. I played out in the woods with my dog and, and just hung out. I'm reminded of it every time I go home. When you go out to the country, well, we're, pretty, we're fairly well in the country where we are now, but... When you go deep out into the country where I'm from, and you get out of your car, and just the sound of all the little insects and everything surrounds you, and you're just sort of transported back to that peaceful time in life. I go out there every Friday, and it's great. But I'm thinking back to why was I at peace then? Sure, I didn't have to worry about paying bills. I didn't have to worry about big future plans. I didn't have to worry about anything. Is that because there weren't things concerned? Is it because... None of those things were important to me. It was still important that I eat. It was still important that I have clothes to wear. It was still important that there was a plan for me. It was still important that you know, I had a shelter over my head, that the mortgage got paid. Transportation was important. Yet I didn't worry about any of those things. I knew I was powerless about those things. But my parents, they were in control. My parents were in control of all those things. And when I would go home at night, and when I would eat dinner with them and talk to them, I could see that my parents were at peace. And knowing that they were at peace and that they were in control brought me peace. Because their peace, my parents' peace, guarded my heart and my mind in childhood. This verse, verse 7, I'll start at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
This verse does not teach that when we pray, that God gives us a package labeled peace of God, and we open it up and enjoy it immediately. It does not teach that. We don't get peace from God like a tube of ointment, some kind of anti-itch cream. You're like, oh, peace. Oh, that's a relief. That's not what it teaches. And yet I have operated so much of my life thinking that. If I pray, I'll get peace. If I pray, peace is going to come. Like a bolt of lightning, it's going to strike me once I pray. I'll be at peace. That's not what the verse teaches. What's promised here is not peace from God. What's promised here is the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. We're not promised that peace from God, that we're going to get it. We're promised that the peace of God, that seeing that He is at peace and He is in charge, His peace can guard our hearts and our minds. As we do verse 6 and as we turn to Him in prayer for our needs. I can assure you that God is at peace. I can assure you that God is in control. We have His Word. It teaches us that. And ladies and gentlemen and, and boys and girls and everybody here, so long as our Father is at peace, we have nothing to worry about. We don't need to understand it all. It's a peace that's beyond our understanding. Just like my parents' peace was beyond my understanding when I was a child. It didn't matter that I didn't get everything, all the mechanics that were going on to bring this chicken pot pie in front of me at the dinner table. It didn't really matter. I knew my parents were at ease and so, so was I. This passage doesn't teach us to ask God for peace so much as it teaches us how to live in such a way that we develop faith in God. Faith in God's strong enough so that when we know that He's at peace, His peace guards our hearts and our minds. So why have there been so many instances where our prayers don't seem to bring peace? I'll tell you a little bit more about me. This is sort of a, I don't know why I'm telling you so much about me, as though you were interested this morning. But There was a time in my life when I was somewhat fit. There was. When I was in college, I would play tennis for like 10 hours a week. And again, this is back before I had any responsibilities, like I told you. So I was just playing tennis all the time. I'd go to the gym. I was never like big, you know, muscular guy, but I was fit. I could run from here to the door over there and not get winded. That's not the case anymore. Because I started to get responsibility and time constraints, I can't do those things anymore to keep fit. But I've decided a few weeks ago, or last week maybe, I'm going to try to get fit now. I'm tired. You know, I, I do youth ministry. I can't even hardly play ping pong with these guys without having to sit down for an hour in the ice bag. So I got my bike out. I'm riding my bike some mornings. I'm, I'm doing push-ups again like I used to do. It's been about a week, and I stand in front of the mirror, and it's not working. Where are my giant pectoral muscles? I did 10 push-ups this morning. I did my push-ups. It's not working. We know, it's the funniest thing, how much money is made on dieting and fitness plans. We know what you need to do to be fit. You need to exercise. You need to eat right. Toss some fruits and vegetables into the diet. Take out some Krispy Kreme. Do some walking, some running. We know what it is to be fit, what has to happen. 
But how many of us have started into something, trying to get fit, and eventually just felt like, this doesn't even work? And you just give up. My point is that I think prayer is more like that. I think prayer is more like exercise than it is a transaction with God. I think prayer is the exercise that strengthens faith, which is the muscle that enables us to be at peace because God's at peace. That was kind of a complicated sentence. Let me say it again. I think biblically, prayer is the exercise that strengthens faith. And faith is the muscle that enables us to be at peace because we trust God. It may not be that peace comes directly from praying. It may be that peace comes from a lifestyle of prayerful dependence on God that develops this muscle of faith as we've seen that God is for real. God is who he says he is. God's word is true. When God says he's in control, he is. I may not always understand it. The situation may be totally beyond anything I could ever understand or plan. But my God is here. He's at peace. He's in control. And through the pain, I can be at peace. So for those here who are struggling with anxiety and anxious thoughts, can't sleep, can't eat because your worries are so crushing, because there's real danger around, the answer for you is in this passage. It just may not be as immediate as we hope it would be. Just like I know my couple of push-ups in the morning is not going to immediately give me gigantic muscles and, and great fitness. We have to realize that prayer is not necessarily going to immediately vanquish all our anxieties. It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment. And his peace will stand guard over our hearts and minds. I want to read the verses to you again. And then I want to give you a chance to respond to this. I want to read the verses to you again. I want you to listen to them. And as you do, I want you to think about what, what is it? What is it that's on your mind? What is it that's on your heart? What is it that is eating away your peace and thus your joy that we're supposed to have in Christ Jesus? Start now. Start now turning this thing over to God in prayer, asking him for your, your supplies, for what you need. And commit this morning to continuing to do so. And I promise you, as you do that, as you entrust these anxieties to God, that the peace of God will begin to guard your hearts and minds. Let me read it to you once more. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything that is in the anxiety column of your mind does not belong there. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And here's a promise to you. The peace of God will guard. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'd like to pray for you before we sing our final song. And as we do, I want you to know this altar is open. These prayer benches are open if you'd like to come up here and concentrate on starting this prayer life that you must start. If you're more comfortable doing so in your seat, that's fine too. Let me pray for you before we sing our last song. Lord, I thank you for my friends who came out this morning. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring life to your word. That, Lord, that you would mold us into the kind of people who lead the kind of prayerful lives of dependence on you. Who could grow strong in our faith. I pray that we would be the kind of people who, because of our trust in you, that our hearts and our minds can be guarded from the anxieties that attack us all week. Lord, help us to get to know you. Help us to come to trust you. Help us to understand, not understand because it's beyond our understanding. Help us to come to rest in the fact that you are in control and that you are at peace. And let your peace guard us. And may we over time grow to be people of joy and peace, not because of our circumstances, but because of our God. Because you are big enough for that. You are glorious enough for that. I know you are. Please help us to be these kinds of people. Help us to respond fully and appropriately. It's in Jesus' name we pray.